Welcome to the Harmony Pittsburgh Baptist Association Leadership Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage pastors, to equip leaders, and to engage the community with the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Jeremy Randolph. Our guest today is pastor and church planter, Toby Goodman. Toby has previously served as pastor of Perryville Baptist Church in Northeast Texas and will be relocating this summer to work with The Bridge, Montana, a church replant in association with the North American Mission Board. Toby, why don't you go ahead and tell us about how you became a follower of Jesus? All right, when I was, uh, to my best memory, I was seven years old, so my granddad had died that summer. I remember everybody kept telling me to that he was in heaven, don't worry about it, I'll see him. But I remember thinking, how in the world do I get to heaven? Uh, there's a series of events, but I remember at church, my pastor was your typical hellfire brimstone type preacher. And I remember one Sunday morning, he just laid a clear message of uh, heaven, hell, sin, uh, for redemption through Christ alone. And uh, I, I knew at that age that I had made enough mistakes to deserve that hell. And so I was grieved. And I remember the old school altar call. And I wanted to go forward, but there were too many people, so I was a little nervous. But my dad picked up on it. Something was wrong with me. Uh, That Sunday afternoon, he went through several Bible passages. Don't know which ones. And later that week, I talked to the children's minister. um, But I decided that week to give my life to Christ. And then the next Sunday night, Sunday night being less people than Sunday morning, they baptized me. But I remember clear as day knowing I was a sinner and that Christ was the only way for forgiveness and that's when I gave my life to Christ. All right. Excellent. Toby, you and I have talked a lot over the past year about your calling to Montana, how you heard the Lord and saw the Lord guide you in the direction of Montana. Would you just take a few minutes and tell us one or two stories where it was clear to you that the Lord was calling you and your family to Montana? First one It was in 2011, I was going, there was a series of events and uh, some ministry things I was doing and evangelism in the streets and stuff like that. And I remember just telling God that I'll go wherever, do whatever, whenever, however, with whoever, wherever he calls me. And I remember just truly meaning that Uh, I was praying just flat on my face, that prayer. And uh, several months later, I was, I knew that I wanted to do something in ministry, but I didn't want to pastor. I didn't want to preach. It seemed like everybody was doing that. I just didn't want to do that. But several months later, my pastor had been going through a series of lordship, coincidentally, in a Bible study, men's Bible study one Tuesday morning. He was talking about lordship and what it looks like not to submit to the Lord, not to go wherever the Lord calls you, regardless of the cost. And that morning, his example of what lordship is not is was a family going from Florida, God calls them from Florida to go to Montana to, to plant a church. And after one hard winter or a year of rejection from the people, that family, even though they were called to Montana to plant a church by God, they go back to Florida because it's too hard mm. and abandoning the very few believers that they had worked with. And my heart just sunk. I was nauseous. I had a lump in my throat, couldn't breathe. And the rest of that Bible study, I just I was praying, God, is this what you want from me? 
And I had no idea what planting a church meant. I had never heard that term before. Uh, but talking to my pastor and other men that he had connected me with in Montana and in that area, uh, this was in Mansfield, Texas, when I at the church I was at, I knew I was called to Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just by that one emotional feeling I had that morning, but a series of events after to right. verify it. And other men knew I was as well. Um, that was really the first one, just my grief over the people that were abandoned and how can you go somewhere that God calls you and then not stay. Mm. Uh, it bothered me a lot, and I wasn't expecting that that day. And so the second time was in 2016. My wife and I were being flown to Montana for a vision tour the North American Mission Board puts on. That was our first time to Montana. So this was five years knowing I need to be there, but didn't know why or how. Didn't know much about it other than what the ministers and pastors had told me that are up there. Uh, But we went out there in 2016. Before we were on the plane, we're flying into Missoula, right before we come to the clouds. I mean, before the trip and during the trip, we're praying, give us a clear answer, God. My wife had no desire to go other than she would go because I'm called to go. And she was willing to do that. Right when I broke... The plane broke through the clouds. I saw Montana for the first time, and I had this massive amount of fear hit me. More fear than I've ever had before. It's hard to explain other than it was choking me kind of fear. Mm. I was just terrified. And it was almost like all these thoughts were going through my mind saying, you're not able to do this. You're not worthy. You don't need to be here. You're crazy. Why would you move across the country? Why would you do this to your family? And I have never been that afraid in my life about anything. Mm. And uh, I couldn't breathe. It was so bad. But at that same time, I knew the Holy Spirit came. And it was like Jesus put his arms around me and said, you'll be okay because I'm there with you. Mm. And and right then and there, I knew I was supposed to be there because the enemy was telling me not to go, putting that fear on me and doubt on me. But Jesus was saying, no, I'm there with you. And this is where I need you. And so and on that same trip, my wife, God broke her heart, and we knew then that we were supposed to go. We just didn't know when or how. Uh, but those are two pretty clear callings. Other scenarios as well over the past nine years, but those are the two major ones. So back in the first episode of our podcast, I interviewed Gabe Martin, your friend, my friend, who's doing church planting now. Uh, in San Diego, I asked him about cultural differences between Northeast Texas and San Diego. And I know that Montana has its own unique culture, different from both of those places. So tell us a little bit about Montana culture. The people there are very shy uh, on purpose. They're introverts. They're they're independent-minded. They don't want help. You don't see a lot of Southern-type hospitality. They're very hard to build relationships with. They'll be nice to you, uh, but to really get to know them takes often years, from what I've been told. And they, they're outdoors people. Of course, they love the outdoors, but they do it because they have to. They all too often can't. Af- they have grocery stores. <laughs> it's modern. But they all too often can't afford to buy meat there, so they hunt and fish. Mm-hmm. For survival, and so they're kind of um, hard. Montana has the number one suicide rate in the nation, mm. and in fact, the number one cause of death for ages fifteen to twenty-five is suicide. Mm. 
So it's very depressing. There are casinos on every corner, liquor stores everywhere, bars everywhere. Um, it's common for you to be offered a drink, and if you don't, then you're kind of an outcast. Um, it just it's weird if you don't drink with them, uh, alcohol, and uh, but it's very depressing. Uh, spiritually dark, a lot of animistic type beliefs where they believe in spirit of the tree, spirit of the wolf, those kind of Native American kind of beliefs. There's not a lot of Christians there. The ones that are there are typically your first generation believers, meaning they're the first ones in their family to ever own a Bible, ever go to church. Mm. Uh, Their parents, grandparents never even thought about it. And so it's spiritually dark, uh, a lot of depression. Um, a lot of great people, uh, very kind. So you're going to be serving as pastor of the bridge in Manhattan, Montana. Two questions. First, what does it mean that this church is classified as a replant? In the North American Mission Board, they have planting churches where you literally plant a seed, if you will, and start a church from nothing. There's nothing in the area or in that community and grow it from nothing. Um, Revitalization means there's a church there. It just needs to be revived. It needs to have a heartbeat again, if you will. Um, And some things, of course, have to change with that to get that going. But a replant, uh, I would say, is a good combination of both. It's a church that is there, but they replanted it, if you will, take a plant, uproot it, and put another one in it for the same people. Um, they basically you change your whole theme with the same core group of people and so for this church it was planted in 2006 maybe late 2005 and um, that pastor that planted it stayed there for a good 10 years and then went and worked for the North American Mission Board Um, the church grew there was some good things out of that since then they've had trouble finding a good leader they've had some issues Um, church almost died and so the core group there they want to keep growing and so they went and went to the bridge church which is in a town called belgrade just outside of manhattan and asked for help and through a a time period there of discussions they just the bridge decided to acquire the church in manhattan and so the church in manhattan changed its name to the bridge and they changed their theme they changed their way of outreach changed a lot of things and they just those people there said hey we'll do whatever it takes and so that's kind of what this replant is we're restarting it in a sense so then the second question is what are some of your goals what are some of your markers for ministry there over the next couple of years what do you want to see happen at the bridge in manhattan over the next two years i would love um definitely to have a huge experience there um, but we'll just see what God has to do with it so that church the core group that is there they're willing to do whatever it takes they're leaders they're willing to get uncomfortable uh, for the sake of reaching people for the gospel a lot of those people in that church are first generation believers there's a couple you know where their parents go there as well it's a town of the population is just over 2,000 people but they've already cleared land for another 200 to 300 homes. And there's really only three, maybe four good Bible teaching conservative 
in their doctrine churches there. So on a good Sunday, there might be 150 to 200 people going to church somewhere. Out of 2,000 plus people, there's a massive opportunity for outreach. Uh, so I would love it if we were able to baptize 150 people in the next two years. And that may seem extreme, but let's not forget what God can do. <laughs> and things like Pentecost with 3,000 uh, saved. And I just think 150 is a reasonable number for an area like that. And I would love to either a current family or a new family that I haven't even met, maybe God calls them to start a new church in Manhattan because there's definitely room for another 10 churches there. Or I don't care, send them off wherever God wants to send them. But I would just love to see that maybe a new believer that six months later, God's calling him to the ministry. Um, so you have used a term now twice in the podcast. You've said the people there are willing to be uncomfortable. So flesh that out for us. What do you mean when you say that? What do you mean when you say people are willing to be made uncomfortable? They're willing to be uncomfortable for the gospel. What do you mean by that? And then what do the people who are saying that mean by that phrase, uncomfortable? Mm. Well, one example, a guy named Justin that I met there, my wife and I flew there a few weeks back to meet the congregation. Uh, a guy named Justin, young man, probably mid-20s, late-20s, has told had told me that he would he started going out into the streets and just randomly meeting people and sharing the gospel. And that, that was very hard for him to do, but he felt like God was calling him to do that. But he fumbles his words. He gets uncomfortable. He's nervous. He doesn't like doing that. He's not that type. He just kind of sticks to himself. Um, but he started doing that. Me, for example, I don't really like people looking at me when I'm uh, large, large crowds. You don't have to turn around, <laughs> but large crowds, uh, looking at me, but God called me to do that and to preach and be a leader at pastor and that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm going to do, even though it's not the most comfortable thing for me. There's a gentleman there. He He's not really, he doesn't feel like he's the best teacher, but God keeps bringing people to him, asking him questions. So he continues to teach them the word of God and started a small group and He's doing things like that. So they just are willing to do whatever it takes. Um, and I think all Christians need to find out what that is. Just because you're comfortable doesn't mean that that's all you need to be doing. I, th I think God has a funny way of making us get uncomfortable to show our obedience towards him. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I like that you shared that story about Justin. I think being uncomfortable is a good thing. You know, I have this, this idea, and I think it's a biblical idea, that every believer should be actively engaging in evangelism regularly. That makes a lot of people uncomfortable because they don't have a lot of practice with it. They haven't done it. And I know that in our time over this past year, uh, a lot of your prayer requests, when I've asked you, man, how can I pray for you? You've always come back with people the names of people that you've been actively sharing the gospel with. If every Christian, every believer, actively engaged in evangelism, then, man, our world would not have unchurched people. Our world would not have 
uh, people that had never heard the gospel before. And one thing that I've found out in my life is the more that I do something, the more comfortable I become at it. So my level of discomfort in sharing the gospel the first few times was much higher than what it is now. Now I'm much more comfortable in sharing the gospel. I know how to communicate clearly. I can read people better and read their responses better. And I think you found the same thing. I think Justin will find the same thing. Yeah, I'm... Being uncomfortable is a good thing, but the more you do something, especially in evangelism and even teaching, I'm sure that you could tell us some stories about the first sermon you ever preached compared to sermons you're preaching now. I'm not going to ask you to do that (laughs) right now. We'll be here a while. (laughs) But everybody's first sermon was rough, and it was uncomfortable. But the more you do it, the more experience you have, Mm -hmm. the better it becomes. So, Toby, tell me about your family. What has your family's response been to this call to Montana? I know early on you shared the story about going up there and your wife not really being on board, Sammy not being on board. So where are they at now? So, Sammy, it kind of flipped. So, again, the first five years, I was ready to go. I didn't understand how that would look. She wasn't. After God broke her heart, anytime I have doubt, she corrects me real quick, you know, and she just verifies that, no, we're supposed to be there and that we're going. And so she has definitely gotten on board. Um, She can't wait to be there with those people. Um, There is sadness leaving the family and friends that we know in our communities here um, in Texas, but there's a hope. Um, She just talks this morning about the hope that she has every day waking up in Christ. Um, Even when times are terrible, she has that hope, and she can't wait to share that hope with a very depressed area, just such as Montana. Uh, My kids, uh, they're a little anxious to see what the adventure holds for them um, in their minds, Uh, oldest, you know, ages 13, 12, 10, and 7. They are sad to leave their friends, cousins, uh, that kind of stuff, but... They, uh, they're starting to get excited. They're starting to ask more questions. Can we do this when we get there? Can we do that? You know, they're wanting to go on the ski slopes and, you know, they're wanting to fit in the culture there. So they're, they're excited. And my, uh, 10 year old, um, I mentioned the difference in where we live now in Quitman with the population and how many churches we have there in Quitman versus the same size population there in Manhattan, Montana with the lack of churches they have. And his response was, you mean there's that many people that don't know about Jesus? Mm-hmm. And he, he wants to go tell them about Jesus. And so uh, there's there's positives coming out of it. So how has your time serving Perryville Baptist Church as their pastor, how has that time helped you prepare for future ministry, for ministry in Montana? Well, one thing, it did help me with my sermon preparation every week, uh, doing Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night lessons, uh, helped me to learn what to worry about, what not to worry about, what to stress over, what not to stress over. Different traditional mindsets within that church than other churches I've been a part of, how to work things out with the people there, um, sharing different perspectives, different ideas, um, different, there's a generational gap, there's a traditional gap. So it's helped me understand, I guess, with compassion, how to work with 
people of a different mindset, be more patient, be more confident in what needs to be done, um, and just kind of lead the people uh, and just go forward with them, you know, kind of get down in the ditch with them and carry them out. I like that idea of getting down in the ditch with your people. It's not enough to lead from afar or from a distance, but to get down, like you said, in the trenches with them, do ministry with them together, modeling for them what it is that you're asking them to do, assisting them in doing that. And then eventually you get to a point where you can can watch them do it on their own because you've trained them, you've developed them as people And then when they're doing it on their own, they can go out truly and start something new themselves. I think that's a great lesson, and I think you're going to take those concepts very easily and transfer them to the work in Montana. Toby, how can we pray for you? Well, honestly, I still have a little doubt, a little wonder if I'm making the right choice. Um, Even though there's so much evidence that I am, that I'm following where God wants us, uh, those I guess human tendencies kick in. So maybe just pray for more boldness and confidence. Um, I'm going forward with it anyway, but just to help me to be more confident and to remind me that God has already gone in before us. He's coming in after us and he's coming in right with us. And just to help me to remember that. I do really appreciate you being transparent here. You know, sometimes we have this idea that there's no room for doubt in our Christian faith. And what I hear you saying is that you've expressed that you're concerned you might not be doing the right thing, but you look back on your life, you see how God has directed your path, and you're trusting Him to move forward. In all human reasoning, there may not be a reason for you to go, but when God speaks... And God opens the door. You have to charge through that. And I think what you've expressed here is healthy doubt. And that's something that we need to learn more of as believers. How else can we pray for you? Pray for definitely my wife and my kids. You know, that they never have kind of a bitterness towards God or us for following God. Um, And then, of course, my parents and my wife's uh, mom and stepdad. And just give them peace and confidence that we are making the right choice. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for calling Toby and Sammy and their kids to Montana. We thank you for working in their lives from years and years ago, pointing and directing and opening the pathway for them to go serve the bridge. Give Toby boldness and confidence. Give his wife and kids boldness and confidence as they proclaim your gospel to a people that have never heard, to a people that that really don't have a place for you in their lives. Lord, despite any setbacks that may occur, despite uh, hardship, Lord, continue to help their confidence be in you and their boldness to emanate from their confidence in you. And God, as we have gotten to know Toby and Sammy over these last months. Lord, we pray that you would keep their marriage strong, that you would keep their family life healthy. And God, we pray that following you, that their kids will see that following you is worth it. 
No matter what you leave behind, following God is worth it. And Lord, we pray the same thing for uh, Toby and Sammy's parents, both sets of parents, Lord, that they would uh, that they would see the same thing. They would see that following God is worth it and that staying when you've been called to go is disobedience. Mm. So Lord, we thank you for how you've worked in their lives. We thank you for what you're going to do at the Bridge, Montana. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Toby, for being our guest on this episode of the Harmony Pittsburgh Baptist Association Leadership Podcast. If you would like more information about the Bridge, Montana, or about how you can support Toby and his family either financially or through prayer, visit the Bridge, Montana's website at www.thebridgemt.com. That's www.thebridgemt.com. That brings our episode to a close. Thanks for listening. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode of our podcast. Have a blessed day.